Hey everyone, good to see y'all. We're gonna start with a choose your own adventure style game. Congratulations, chosen one. You have the supreme honor of having been selected and commissioned for a most important errand for the queen. It is a dangerous quest that will last many weeks. The queen's spy has shared crucial information about the location of the kingdom's lost relic. As suspected, the relic is located somewhere in our rival kingdom's capital city. You must go there, locate the relic, and bring it safely home. Now, before setting off on this adventure, you must make two important decisions. Number one, you must choose a partner to accompany you on this quest. And number two, you and your partner are brought into a room furnished with various instruments and weapons, and you may each select one of these items. Which do you choose? Now, get into groups of two to four people around you and share your answers to these questions on your quest. If you don't know each other, introduce yourselves. Go. Okay, let's come back together. Well done, chosen ones. That was a fun experiment simply to get us to think about the instruments or tools that we carry and how tools, instruments, and technologies inform our sense of purpose and what it is we are doing. There is a phenomenon called the law of the instrument. And it's the saying, if you give a person a hammer, they will think everything is a nail. This is the tendency of people to over-rely on the devices that are familiar to us or available to us. And we tend to rely on those devices even when some other tool or instrument would work better, but we don't think about it uh, because we go towards that familiar instrument or what's available to us. So this morning, I want us to reflect on instruments, tools, technologies that we use, and how those shape our faith lives and our relationship with Jesus, okay? Now, there are a number of stories in the Bible where people are commissioned by God or by Jesus for some purpose, and they are instructed to carry with them various instruments or tools. The instruments that they carry or don't carry end up defining what that person is about and their purpose. So we're going to look at one story like that this morning, and uh, we're going to consider how it speaks to our faith lives today. This one comes to us from Mark's gospel where Jesus commissions his 12 disciples to do what he himself has been doing the whole time that they've known him. Uh, namely teaching and healing. So he's going to send them out to do the same thing. And we're going to see the specific instructions from Jesus, okay? So here's a story from Mark 6. Then Jesus went about the villages teaching. He called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake the dust off 
shake the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. This is what Jesus has been saying too. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. So the disciples have a quest. Jesus commissions them on this quest, and he commands them not to bring anything with them except a staff. So bonus points if you selected a staff on your mission to Ames. Um, I hope you were well-received in Ames with that staff. The disciples' mission is, as I mentioned, it's to reproduce what they've already seen Jesus do. And it's three things that we see. Number one, teaching that the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. Number two, casting out demons. And number three, healing the sick. So a brief note on that second one, casting out demons. Throughout Christian history, there have been all kinds of ways people have understood and interpreted those stories. Some prefer interpreting those stories as metaphorical or symbolic, and there's a long history of interpreting the stories this way. Others interpret them as literal existential beings. So we're not going to delve into that today, but I just want to name that. There's a lot of options. There it is. The main point here is that we see Jesus demonstrating a lot of confidence in his disciples. He is sending them out, and they're going to represent him. He's licensing them with his brand. Whatever they do, whatever they don't do, whatever they say, whatever they don't say, it's going to reflect back on Jesus. And uh, this might be part of the branding problem we have with American Christianity today and how it reflects back on Jesus. Just put it out there. It's really important then. The disciples are going to reflect Jesus. It's really important for them to be prepared. Only the preparations, at least in terms of supplies required, are very, very meager. Don't take anything with you except a staff. Now, the humble staff has a long biblical background. Uh, Here are some figures in the Bible who carried staffs. Good list there. And every single one of these stories and people would be really, really fun to take a deeper dive into the stories where they're carrying staffs and what happens there. Um, But I do want to highlight just one of those stories because it speaks to our topic this morning, and that is David, King David. So David, as many of you remember, prior to his career as a monarch, was a shepherd. And his instrument, his tool, was a staff. He carried a staff everywhere. In fact, in the famous fight scene between David and Goliath, David shows up carrying a staff. Now, he also has a slingshot, so he goes over, picks five stones, because Goliath has four brothers. Trivia. And so he walks into battle with a slingshot, five stones, and his staff. And what does he do? He knocks out the giant with one stone, goes over, lays down his staff. He picks up Goliath's sword, and he chops off the giant's head. Holds it up for all Israel to see. This is the moment of transformation. When David puts down his staff and picks up a sword... And the rest is history. The rest of the story of David's monarchy is a story of military campaigns, military victories, securing Israel's border, and getting victory over Israel's enemies. David is defined by the sword, the instrument he carries. Now, uh, going back to our list here, please note 
that there's one person not mentioned here. Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible does it mention Jesus carrying a staff. In fact, Jesus is instrumentless. Everywhere he goes, it's him. He shows up. He's not using anything, carrying anything. For his daily provisions, he relies on the generosity and the hospitality of others. And this was a cultural expectation at the time, so itinerant preachers, there was kind of a role there, and people understood. Someone's coming to teach in our town, we will extend generosity and hospitality in exchange for their message, their teachings. So Jesus fits right into that role. Now, interestingly, early Christian art sometimes depicted Jesus using an instrument because they saw an opportunity to sort of fill in the gap there. What would Jesus carry if he did carry something? Sure, the stories don't mention anything, but maybe he did carry something, right? So check this out. This is a wall painting in a catacomb from the 3rd or 4th century. It's a depiction of Jesus multiplying loaves of bread to feed thousands, and look what he's holding. What is that? It's a wand. 3rd or 4th century Christians drawing Jesus with a wand to carry out his miracles. Here's another one. This is a wood carving on a set of double doors that you can see today at the church Santa Sabina in Rome. Uh, this was done in the year 432 CE. They have the records. Three images of three separate miracle stories. I don't know how well you can see it. Um, but uh, from the top to the bottom, raising Lazarus from the dead, multiplying loaves and fish, and my favorite, turning water into wine. Um, all Jesus, Jesus is carrying an instrument. It looks maybe a wand. It's a little thicker and longer perhaps, so staff, wand, somewhere hybrid. So early Christians picked up on this idea of Jesus using instruments as an extension of his ability or power or authority, and that that's what instruments are. They're extensions of us, of our purpose, of what it is we're trying to accomplish in the world. And this is exactly the principle that defines our story today. Jesus tells his disciples, take nothing, just a staff. In doing so, the disciples are thrust into this story with a long history, right? The, the prophets and leaders that have gone before them, that list of all the leaders in the Bible who wielded staffs, they have a sign of their authority and credibility. When they walk into a village with a staff, everyone's like, "Woo, somebody with a staff. Here we go. I asked uh, sanctuary member Jen Brown for her thoughts on this because Jen is a very experienced D&D player. Dungeons Dragons, and I wondered how a staff might fare in terms of instruments and various D&D player, players might carry. Uh, and she shared a number of helpful thoughts, like the relative ease of creating and carrying a staff, as well as the ambiguity of someone who might wield one. You never know who you're dealing with, a person who's carrying a staff, right? Are they a humble beggar? Or are they aspiring Jedi like Chirrut Imwe from Rogue One? Who is this person with a staff? Now, Jen also pointed out to me how Jesus' disciples carrying a staff would make it much less likely that they would be branded as insurrectionists than if they were to carry another instrument like a dagger or a sword. And this is definitely part of the tension of the gospel narrative. Uh, part of the tension there is the degree to which Jesus himself would be branded as an insurrectionist. 
And then his disciples also were sort of cast into that plot. We have at least one story where the disciples were in fact carrying daggers. They defend Jesus or try to, and Jesus tells them, put away your daggers, put away your swords. That's not what we're doing here. All of this, again, underscores Jesus's central message and mission, his purpose. His kingdom is a peaceable kingdom. It is an enterprise of blessing, extending blessing. And yet, there will be obstacles or outright rejection as Jesus anticipates the disciples will receive on their mission. Sometimes, in the case of Jesus, the rejection means violence. But the task is to remain faithful to this peaceable kingdom, this vision of blessing upon blessing. Take nothing with you except a staff. The disciples are commissioned as messengers and teachers, not defenders or fighters. So how do we think about this for us today? Now, I know none of us are ready to go out as itinerant preachers uh, carrying nothing but a staff. Maybe we grab a good walking stick, though, on the trail. That could be. But all of us, all of us are commissioned by Jesus to be carriers of the good news that Jesus wants to share with the world, Jesus' peaceable kingdom. And all of us are aspiring to live out our lives in ways that are consistent with who Jesus is and how Jesus would call us to live. And to do that, to live our lives, we engage with all kinds of tools and instruments and technologies. So I think this story invites us to consider what is our relationship with the instruments and technologies we use and carry? What do they mean about the kind of world we are building, the message we carry? Do our instruments and technologies help us nurture healthy relationships? Do they help us access the gifts that Jesus brings to us? Do they hinder us in any way? Remember the law of the instrument. Once we start using an instrument or technology, we're likely to keep using it over and over and over, even when situations might not warrant its use. I'll give a couple examples. So there's been a lot of study done about the rise of the automobile and its use in human society. You know, great invention, very useful. And wow, humans, when we started using cars, we really started using them and using them some more. And then we started building and structuring all of society for the car, for the automobile. There's two recent books about parking and just how much parking, the idea, <laughs> the structures, the systems related to parking, how much that determines urban development. It's amazing. The all-pervasive car. Cars are very useful, but we're finding drawbacks to cars' use. And we can ask, to what, degrees do, do, to what degree do cars and driving make us better human beings? In what ways do cars help or hinder us from receiving and extending the gifts of God? I'm not ready to stop driving, so don't mishear me. <laughs> um, but I'm asking, as you hear me, I'm asking us to reflect. What is it we use? How do those determine what we're doing in life? Do they make us better off or not? Almost everything's a mix, right? And how do we make sense of that? 
Another instrument we could do very well to reflect on, of course, is the phone, the smartphone. <laughs> Everyone feel the phantom buzz in your pocket as soon as I put that picture on the, on the screen? Is my phone going off? What's happening? <laughs> Okay, so a couple stats on uh, smartphone use. Uh, average daily use is now about three hours, 15 minutes per person per day. Uh, people check their phones on average uh, 58 times per day. I, uh, I'm definitely driving the average up <laughs> on this. Um, so this is initially bad, okay? Again, I'm not uh, suggesting they're, they're bad or, or wrong or anything like that. Uh, there are all kinds of helpful and good uses of smartphones, right? We connect with friends and loved ones through our phones. A lot of us depend on phones for work. We get directions and reminders and all kinds of things that are very useful with our phones. But there's been a lot of attention, growing attention, on how smartphones can negatively impact human health and relationships. And I'm not going to take a deep dive into this, but I just I googled around and found some like summary articles. So just you know, here are a few examples. You know, health health risks linked to smartphone use, uh, teenage cell phone addiction, adult cell phone addiction, <laughs> um, and how smartphone use can negatively impact relationships. I know you can't even see the data. You, you know, you could look this up on your own if you're curious, and I'm, you probably already heard some of this. Uh, and finally, of course, there's the, the really devastating impacts that smartphones can have on driving and driving attention. And it's, it's a very, very, very serious thing. Our smartphones are powerful, powerful instruments that we carry with us. And we would be very wise to ask, how do these instruments shape us? How do they impact our ability to embrace Jesus and share Jesus with the world. Let's imagine Jesus comes to us today and says, go share my message, heal the world, take nothing with you, not even your smartphone. Could we embrace that quest? How would that feel to us? As I've been thinking about this week, uh, you know, I, I find myself both repelled <laughs> by the, the simple commission of Jesus to his disciples. You know, I feel anxious, like going with nothing. Oh my gosh. Depend on others? Yikes. But there's also something I find myself really attracted to, that there's something really refreshing about this commission. Take nothing with you, Jesus says. And the reason Jesus says that is because he's telling the disciples, take nothing with you because you don't need anything. You already have it in you, what you are to share with the world. It's you. It's in you. In another place, Jesus announces the kingdom of God is within you. You are, it, it occupies our being. So when we go out and, and share the gifts of God, it is us. That's the gift. It is us and it is in us. And that's what Jesus is driving home to them. Okay, maybe you need a staff. 
to establish some credibility, get in the door. But beyond that, what are they doing? They're telling stories. They're saying, here's my experience. You wouldn't believe it. I, we were at this wedding. The wine ran out, and guess what? Amazing. They're taking a little oil, anointing people who are sick, and praying a prayer of blessing and healing, and people are being healed. That's it. Very, very simple. This is the invitation for us, is that you know, sometimes we get very cluttered by all of life. And, and life is complicated. We need instruments and tools and technologies. But let us remember at the heart of what it is we are, are human beings in the image of God, receiving the gifts of God and invited to share those with the world. It's, it's simple. It's refreshing. It is, it's beautiful. That's the gift. So I want to close with a simple prayer exercise that we could, for a moment, just be in the now, be in the present, uh, and, and receive that invitation to have nothing. See if we can do that. And I've, I've invited us with a simple prayer that we can be quietly saying to ourselves as we breathe and pray. So as we inhale, I invite you to say in your mind, Jesus, I receive your kingdom. And as you exhale, Jesus, I will share your kingdom. Let's pray. Jesus, I receive your kingdom. Jesus, I will share your kingdom. Jesus, I receive your kingdom. Jesus, I will share your kingdom. Jesus, I receive your kingdom. Jesus, I will share your kingdom. God, we hear your invitation. Take nothing. You already have it in you. Go. Share. Extend my message. Help us to embrace that. Help us to receive that anew. Help us to be wise about the things we use and how they shape us. In Jesus' name, amen.